You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the sound re-recording mixer and sound designer of the Amazon documentary Generation Wealth, Peter Albrechtson. If I want to work 100 hours a week and never see my family and die at an early age, that's my prerogative. I would have money as big as this one in case it... 33 pounds of gold and diamonds given to me by superstars of the world. I love money. Peter, how are you? Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. All right, Peter. So obviously your film's creating a lot of conversation right now. It seems like it's never not timely to have a film that reminds us just how toxic our society's fascination of wealth and culture is. But I'm curious, I mean, you have an eclectic mix of things. The most recent two big-name projects I saw you attached to were Dunkirk and Thelma. What brought you to a documentary like Generation Wealth? I'm actually uh, all the time going back and forth between doing fiction films and doing documentaries. I think, like, during the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, uh, documentary movies have become so much more like visual and also sonically in- interesting so there's it's i mean it's really creative and really great for me as a sound designer to do documentaries as well and i like this dynamic between doing very different kinds of projects all the time it's uh it's it's a wonderful way of keep on getting new inspiration for my work and at the same time, I'm so privileged to get to work with some really wonderful filmmakers and uh, having a great crew that helps me. And in that sense, uh, I really like that whole dynamic of doing very different kinds of movies all the time. So when people talk about working on a dock, or when people talk about sound design in general, they often don't consider documentaries first. You know, typically they think of movies like Baby Driver, Dunkirk as a sound showcase. But as we see, even as soon as the opening montage in Generation Wealth, this film is packed with sound design. So tell me a little bit about some of the things that you had to do to get a project like this so sonically compelling. It was... uh... A really interesting film to be part of. I mean, both, of course, because of the subject matter and the way that the director, Lauren Greenfield, manages to create something that is both like a social commentary, but also a very personal film. But at the same time, from an aesthetic standpoint, it's a really interesting film because it kind of cuts between a lot of... Lauren's amazing still images. She's a really, really gifted still photographer. Like, it's very successful. And uh, a lot of... uh, A lot of visual material in the film are actually still images, still photographs. Um, So how do you create the sound for that? I mean, how do you create sounds for something that never had a sound? That was something that... I really had to experiment a lot with and play around with and and some in some places it's just really subtle few sounds that I mean kind of made the pictures come alive other places it's much 
much more complicated and and there's more uh, things going on it's a very kind of dynamic detailed um, soundtrack where you where there's moments where as i mentioned before like it's it, moments it's a very personal story so there's moments where the sound gets very intimate fragile minimal and there's moments where there's montages about like the financial collapse for example where i mean i have hundreds of tracks with different layers of sound effects um taking all kind of for example sounds from stock exchanges recordings from around the world manipulating and working with them in a very creative way so that you get this total feeling of like almost like a, a, some kind of war scene going on Ooh. so there's there's this kind of constant contrast between something that's very very subtle subdued and then there's moments where there's um i mean pure sonic craziness and that kind of dynamic really really gives the the movie a, a, a wonderful a wonderful dynamic as well and then i worked very very closely with the, the score by jeff beale jeff beale also did music for house of cards and many others i love jeff beale yes yeah he's a, such a great composer so what i did was in many places making my sound effects kind of work together with the music so i cut them in the rhythm of jeff's music or i pitched them so they had the same tonality as jeff's music to kind of make it it really in many places it's almost like really in, in invisible in a way like this where is what is music and what is sound and to to make the whole film in a way very musical i i mean it's it's a film where there's lots of different things going on it's a it's a, a very complex storyline um with the i mean locations from all around the world so also just like getting hold of ambiences and sound recordings from from like brazil china russia all around europe and the us of course so there was a lot of sound effects like coming in from people i got hold of from around the world and then also did a lot of new recordings as well so for example all the all the camera sounds you hear in the film uh, when lauren is clicking on her different cameras i mean the film has been was shut in a period of several years so the cameras are changing and all every single camera sound in the film is something that i cut in and a recording of the actual camera that she's using at that point oh wow so there was a lot of detail put into the sound and um, i mean a really great experience also because lauren of course she's a photographer and she has a really amazing eye but she also has a really precise ear and um she she uh, is one of the documentary directors that actually spends money on having a 
sound recordist on set to record the dialogue, to record the interviews, so that you get the right sound from the very beginning. I mean, the, the, her, she really wants everything to sound crisp and good. So when you start out with having some raw material that's just really good, then it kind of feels very natural to then make a very detailed um, soundscape for the whole film. It kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's a film that really um, uh, is enhanced by working in that way with the sound. Yeah, I w- there were a couple moments specifically I was wondering about when you talked about all those stills. Uh, how did you go about devising the very disturbing soundscape for a scene in which a character is operated on without much anesthetic, full body plastic surgery while completely conscious? Because that, that, those images are disturbing on their own, but with the snips and clicks, was that all something you created? Um, there was a few production sounds like recorded when they were shooting the scene. And then there was some Foley added. I work with a great Foley artist who's uh, doing all this. I mean, Foley is kind of like the sound of the what the characters are doing. So, right. So, for example, uh, I mean, footsteps and all these things. But he also did um, these... Uh, uh, great sounds for the operation and then on top of that I also um, actually just a couple of years ago I did a a feature film about a doctor at a at a big Copenhagen hospital so for that film we recorded several kind of sounds from hospitals so we also used those so in that sense it's it's a combination of several different layers but um, you're right. It's a really like it's a kind of scene where oh, it 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 hurts you <laughs> in a way. <laughs> oh yeah. And 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 you really want. I mean, then as a sound designer, it's kind of your job to really make it uglier, but also at the same time not making it like too much because it shouldn't sound like a Hollywood action movie. It should sound like something that's real. So all the time it's it's about finding this balance about like adding sounds but also doing it in a what can I say like tasteful way <laughs> I, I would say it never felt exploitative but it, it also begs the question how much of these sounds because I watched the film once and I had to go back and revisit it to realize some of the moments where you and your team really shine uh, how much of the live footage is what the sound record is captured on set and how much is you for example like the hiss of a cigar during the interview with the german hedge fund manager or when you see the beauty pageant child you can hear kind of a sound effect whenever she moves one of her showgirl costumes uh there's a bicycle going by when you see some of the new generation china was that you or was that something that was captured on set that's all me. That's all put in. I mean, pretty much, um, like, what you hear of the dialogue is production sound recordings. And then everything else pretty much is put in. So 
there's a lot of layers and sometimes in a very subtle way but I mean something like this cigar that you're mentioning I mean it's such a lovely detail because it makes this character even more like he's he's almost like a he seems like a James Bond villain to me yeah yeah he's a James Bond villain he's it's such an amazing character I mean Lauren is so great at really getting these complex characters where you're thinking like he can't be real and then through the film then he he turns out to be a human being just like the rest of us with a lot of human emotions but this kind of contrast between really playing him out as like as you say a James Bond villain and then towards the end like then he's just sitting there being very emotional very fragile and then we are slowly removing sounds so that in the beginning, he's he's much more powerful, and whenever he moves in in the couch, in the leather couch, it has these grand sounds and everything. I mean, his his whole body movement is just like powerful, and then at the end, it's just like small creaking sounds and very fragile sounds that that really enhances this feeling of his solitude and like his his fragility. So he is absolutely one of the most compelling characters on display. And as you said, it is the sound that brings him to life. There's several other characters, namely Suzanne, who's also a hedge fund manager, um, a former porn star, that are also particularly compelling. What little details did you give them to make their characters pop? I really uh, like the Suzanne character. The, the way that the dramaturgy of her character in the film is pretty amazing. This way that she goes from being like a really cold office, like money, money person, and then becoming like a very caring parent. I really loved that kind of evolution through the film. And what I did was that in the beginning, when we meet her, each time it's together with like these office sounds like a, a phone beep uh, 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 an alarm going off like all these like a little annoying sounds and then towards the end more and more human sounds seep into her environment so in the end it's like you hear kids in the background and you hear like warm kind of uh, soundscape around her and that kind of evolution was something that I really loved, like to really, in a way, underscore her characters, um, her characters' kind of trajectory with sound. Um, and I mean, the same thing goes for the this uh, former porn star, who's who's also like really becoming more and more personal, and in the beginning is much more like. She has all these this this party energy, and then towards the end, we also scale down and become more intimate with her. And suddenly, you hear small creaking sounds of the floor when she walks around in her apartment. And I mean, it's this going from some of the early interviews, which are like in these big fashionable hotels where there's like a siren outside the the hotel and 
things like that, which give this uneasiness. And um, I really like to work with background sounds and environmental sounds in that way because I think it, in a in a um, in a very subtle way, it really enhances your identification and also your your experience of the character. Um, and uh, I think that's something that sound is so extremely good at. I mean, there's this uh, saying by uh, Walter Murch, who uh, back in the 70s, he kind of invented uh, the, the term sound design. Oh, yeah, it's he did, Now. Like sound is. for, yeah, he did Apocalypse Now and, and uh, The Godfather and The Conversation and these amazing classics. And he said that, that the images knock on the front door and the sound seeps in through the back door. And I really like that expression because it says so much about how sound really influences you like subconsciously and means so much of how we experience the film. That's a great line. Uh, So you created so much of what we hear in this film But as you said, a lot of great work was captured on set. Were there any moments where the interview sound, the recorded sound just wasn't cutting it? And how did you get around that? Because a lot of these subjects, you know, she catches them on camera saying things they probably, once they realize had said, it's not like you could bring them back into ADR what they had said, because they're not going to say it again. How did you get around that? Um, generally, I mean, the quality of the dialogue recordings were really good, but of course there's always places where there's some noise in the background or maybe there's a little technical error or hiccup or something. And one of the, I mean, really amazing advancements in sound technology just during the last five years are some programs which can do, like software, which can do amazing things with cleaning up sound and taking away pops and clicks and weird noises in the background. And um, we use that extensively for several uh, sequences. And so, I mean, of course, the the, the sound recordings was were generally really, really good. But there's always like places where you where you need to tweak things or where uh, Lawrence suddenly wants a line that was maybe caught more like almost off camera. So there's always a lot of like dialogue editing uh, to do in a in a documentary and in feature films. But I mean, like what you can achieve now is quite amazing with different noise reduction tools. And then also, I mean. Sometimes, like if if something is like set in in a way that it's a little hard to make out, then maybe sometimes just like taking a T or a P from somewhere else in the in the dialogue from the same character, and then add it in to kind of help out the the intelligibility, uh, like making the dialogue more understandable. That's also tricks that we do. I mean, there's lots of tricks involved in dialogue editing. So, uh, you know, you mentioned you're getting all kinds of audio that you can clean up. Did that apply for all these old recordings? Because she was bringing in sound she recorded from interviews 15, 20 years ago. 
And in one case, there's a 9-11 call that's played as a CD. How did you deal with all of those? It's quite interesting in the film that actually some of these old recordings are used in a way where it was nice that it had a little noise because it kind of made it more believable that it was old. Uh, it's funny that we have this like mental idea of something being older if it's a little more scratchy and dirty and rough around the edges. I mean, then suddenly it sounds older. So there were, I mean, generally these older recordings were, of course, we also needed to do a bit of cleaning up, but we also made sure not to clean it up too much. I mean, that was actually like an early thing that we were trying out to kind of see, okay, how much should these be cleaned up? And then we started trying out with different things and then almost, I mean, we also tried cleaning it up too much. So it become, it became like more, more like a modern recording. And then it kind of lost the power of telling the story of time as well. I mean, it's interesting how just like, the fidelity of the recordings are uh, saying a lot about the time that they were recorded in. So we went back and forth a lot on that, but um, Pete Horner from Skywalker Ranch, uh, he uh, he mixed the film and um, he did a really good job on going through all this uh, dialogue and all these archival recordings. So um, uh, it was definitely something that we did a lot of adjustments on, but in some places I even added some like scratchy old noises to kind of make something seem even older because it felt too new in a way. So sometimes like you you go back and forth and and uh, it's uh, it's interesting how how uh, how sound is is telling so many stories and that's not just about the words that you hear, but it's also about like the time and, and about the emotions. Now, I was wondering uh, another area is you'd mentioned your Foley a little bit. What was some of your favorite stuff to work with the Foley team to create? Because I know you guys always have just some bizarre stories behind the making of certain sounds. Mm -hmm. Foley is funny. I mean, just like uh, if you if you see it on its own, it's like this man standing inside a room with a lot of weird props and yeah. standing there making noises in front of the picture and like having high heels on, trying to make like trying to sound like a woman walking down. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's it's. It's funny and it's also amazing what it can do to kind of create this intimacy. So uh, f for me in this film, we used it a lot to kind of have extra details for uh, the different characters. Like you mentioned the the puffing of the cigar and so on. Um, there's a lot of small things like that, which when I say it's small, it's the effect is not small, but the the sound is small and um we we did a lot of that to kind of really make sure that you came close to the characters when you were watching this film that it wasn't just like someone just sitting there talking i mean it's a 
It, it had to feel like you were sitting next to this character and hearing all the small sounds. It's interesting how our mind works that, I mean, when you start hearing small sounds like like small creaks of a chair and things like that, it there's something like subconsciously in our minds that make us feel like we're closer to them. Because in real life, if you should hear small sounds like that, then it means that you're sitting very, very close to a person, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to hear that. So when you hear those sounds in the cinema, it really, like, it's it's interesting how it, it, um, it, it just psychologically kind of places you in a very intimate, close room with these characters. So, yeah, in a way, I mean, there's not that that there's not that many funny funny stories like about uh, the foley sounds in the film i think um there's uh, there's still some hilarious sound effects put in in a lot of places uh, i mean during the whole financial crash i i i really got this kind of feeling of them being in a war so i put in this recording i had of a tank <laughs> going through, uh, going through a, a kind of a, 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 almost like a battlefield, and really oh getting God. this feeling of <laughs> uh, like everything is falling apart. Um, so I, I mean, there was sections like that. Really, um, was really enhanced with that kind of more like associative approach to sound, so that. Um, there's there's like constantly this contrast between um, creating something that's very real and then creating moments where it goes all the way and it's more like an abstract collage of sounds. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about last year you worked on Dunkirk and from what I can tell in your credit it looks like you were involved with the Foley team is that correct? No, what I did for uh, for Dunkirk was actually recording uh, sound effects, or I recorded uh, the sound of a boat, a special boat that wasn't available in the U.S. And then for for several years, I've known Richard King, the sound designer of Christopher Nolan, and he wanted like every sound in Dunkirk to be like the sound of the real thing. So he col- he spent lots of time like collecting sounds of planes and boats and explosions and so on and so on. But then there was this old kind of um, this old boat um, which didn't exist in the U.S. anymore. And then he found out that here in Scandinavia it still existed. So he 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 asked me to go out and record. So I went out there with my assistant and we had a long list of what to do in this boat. Um, so, so yeah, we recorded all those sounds. We spent the day out there in the, in, the, in the sea, like recording this boat and the engine. And Was that Mark Rylance's boat? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And um, then we send all those sounds over to, to Richard. Uh, I, I, I was actually never told what the film was uh, <laughs> because it was so I mean there's so much secrecy about these films right so uh, 
Richard just gave me a list of like what he needed and then I sent those over and then the kind of like a funny afterthought to that story is like that that um, then here in February I was uh, I was uh, at the Golden Reel Awards in in LA um, and uh, then I met the music editor of Dunkirk and then he told me, hey, Peter, thank you so much for those boat sounds. You used those in the music. <laughs> was this the first time you learned when it was like winning uh, an MPSE award? No, 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 no. I, I knew, I mean, I saw the film and my name was in the credits. So, of course, oh, okay. I, and then I <laughs> okay. talked with Richard and I knew that. But I thought that the sounds were only there for the sound. I didn't know that, that I mean, the music editor told me that Hans Zimmer and the music team kind of integrated these sounds of the boat into their music. Oh, that's so cool. So uh, that's also one of the things I really love about Dunkirk is that this very close collaboration between music and sound. And um, I mean, that's something that I really try to do as well myself, like really work very closely with the composer and the music department to really get um, this kind of interplay between sound and music well that's something you touched on at the beginning but i did want to ask a little bit more about because i did notice particularly in the opening montage jeff beale's score seems to have reached this synergy with your sound effects that's probably the the first four minutes of the film are probably my favorite section it's just a masterpiece of editing in balancing kind of a sonic energy. So tell me a little bit more about that particular collaboration. Jeff, uh, he, I mean, he, just like me, he was involved in the film quite early on. So he did some different s- sketches and so on. And then I heard these, these sketches. And then when, when, uh, when he started really scoring the film, then like, each cue came in, and then when I got in the music, then I started building my sounds around the, the, the music because I thought it was a film where it was really important to really make sure that um, the film wasn't just like voiceover and music. I mean, in many ways, it's a film where it, it, there's a lot of voiceover in the film, there's a lot of music in the film, and I wanted to make sure that for me, it was super important to connect those two elements. And I wanted the sound to almost be like the glue between the voices and the music. For me, that's one of the things I hate about TV documentaries is that yes, I see these documentaries and it's just like music playing and then some people talking on top of it. And there's no kind of musicality to that. It's just like lots of words and a lot of music and i think that when you start using the sounds to kind of bridge the gap between the music and the voice then you get a much more like organic feel to the film and in a in a way that was very much my approach so when jeff then started delivering cues then i started building my sounds and on top of these cues and uh, then the thing was that, I mean, in a collaboration, when you play around with things, then suddenly you realize, ah, okay, this cue shouldn't be like this. We need to 
arrange it differently and so on. So uh, usually from a sound designer's view, I mean, that's okay, then you change the music and so on. But for me, when whenever there was a cue that needed to be changed, then I needed to change my old sound design because it was built around the music. So it was a very kind of tight collaboration in that sense. Uh, but not so much me sending sounds to Jeff. I mean, it was much more like Jeff creating his score and then me building on that and using that as inspiration for my work. Well, we're reaching the end here, but I wanted to ask you a couple more things. Uh, first of all, you start getting a taste for, not starting, you've been working with American projects for several years, but you have your name on projects like Dunkirk. What's next for you? Any big projects in the pipeline? Um, uh, Lauren is doing another film, which we'll be mixing at Skywalker Ranch at the end of the year or early next year. Um, I've got another U.S. documentary coming out in the autumn, Last Race, which was in competition at Sundance. Probably more things coming up. I mean, I'm... I'm often involved in projects very early on, so there's some projects I'm involved in right now, which I can't really say much about, but <laughs> they uh, they will uh, probably get screened in the US as well. I'm, uh, I've, I've had a lot of fun on working on some Dolby Atmos projects, uh, feature films with this amazing like 3D, sound format which Dolby invented a few years back it's called Dolby Atmos and it's like um, it's like all the blockbusters you see nowadays are mixed in that format but I really love bringing it into like also more films which are dramas and in a way quieter films because then you can really hear like how amazing it is and as it as it looks now I'm gonna do a, 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 a big documentary next year in Dolby Atmos. So that'll be really great. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so the, the last two questions. First off, what has no one asked you about your work in Generation Wealth? What have I not asked you about Generation Wealth that you would love to tell the world so they know what an incredible job you did on this film? <laughs> I mean, the thing is about sound is that it's the most invisible part of the film and you really don't want f people to be too aware of it. I mean, you should just like enjoy the story, enjoy the ride. I think I touched upon a lot of these different details that that um, I've used uh, at a lot of time on. Uh, one of my favorite sequences in the film is towards the end where there's this big sequence at a factory like they're printing a book and you see the different machines and I love things like that it's kind of like this whole industrial thing where I just got to build like a whole sound collage of sounds of different machinery I mean it goes back to my love of the old David Lynch movies where like eraser there was always these yeah eraser head and so on Elephant Man, where there was always these amazing industrial sounds going on. There's also there's a sequence I really love in Zodiac by David Fincher. Uh, there's also this factory sequence uh, with sound design by Ren Kleiss, 
who's also like really amazing and oh he's great yeah yeah he's yeah he keeps on doing amazing work and um, that sequence um, for me is uh, something I just keep on coming back to and I and I love those kind of industrial soundscapes and uh, so there's there's many things in the film which I'm I mean I'm I'm very proud of the whole film as a as a as a story and then I'm really proud of all the detail and dynamics and the musicality that I think we put into the film and the mixer uh, Pete Horner who I already who I already mentioned from Skywalker Sound he's just like me he has a background in music so when we do films we're always trying to be very musical in our approach and uh, at the end when we had finished the mix I was saying like wow this felt like a big symphony we did and for me that's a that's a great way of of experiencing a film god that that's a beautiful way to describe it it's a symphony i so obviously you guys have an incredible sound design and display it's a, it's a moving documentary as a whole what other films this year just name one or two that, given your background in sound, you saw and listened to, and you were like, wow, that is some impressive sound design. I was really, really um, amazed by You Were Never Really Here with Woking Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Uh, directed by Lynn Ramsey, sound designed by Paul Davies. For me, that film is, like, mind-blowing. And the way that it uses sound is so extremely creative. I mean, Lynn Ramsey's work has been a great influence on me. And uh, I think, I mean, that film just, uh, yeah, is sonically so, uh, so creative and so inspiring. Oh, and Johnny Greenwood's score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Greenwood's score is amazing on top of that. So, yeah, everything just... uh, that 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 film blew me away, and I've seen it several times, and just got it on Blu-ray. I need to check out all the details. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time, Peter. Everyone, please go check out Generation Wealth. It is now in theaters, and starting all kinds of hype. So, Peter, thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on board. Thank you so much. All right. You have a wonderful day, Peter. Hey everyone, this is Matt Neglia with NextBestPicture.com. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with Peter Albrechtson. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Also, too, head on over to our Patreon page, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcasting content from us over here at nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we shall see you all next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.